0: I believe that something that I'm going to be sharing this morning is going to minister to each of you. Um, I'm going to pray that God helps me be able to communicate that clearly because some of you are here and you're not just wanting maybe another biblical truth or principle to build your life on, though that is important and we find those throughout Scripture, but you're wanting. For the Spirit of God to restore you, to refresh you, to encourage you, impart hope in your circumstance. Because many of us, you know, it's hard. Life can be super hard at times. And I believe Jesus has an answer for you. Okay? So I, just bow your heads. Let's, let's pray together. Let's ask God to speak This morning to our hearts. Father, we come before you boldly in the name of Jesus, and I ask you, Spirit of God, that you would speak. For some of us, Lord, maybe there's a resistance right now starting to well up within us. We've had a hard, hard week. Maybe we're discouraged, and I just pray, Spirit of God, minister truth, minister truth. Jesus, as we look into your word this morning, above all else, would you show us Jesus? Would you do this, God? In Jesus' name I pray. Mm. Amen. Amen. Well, the thing that I forgot was a resume. And the resume I was going to share with you is my resume. It's an ancient document. It was all the way back to when I graduated from seminary, and I had put this together, and I was going to be using, I used it to be able to put into the hands of various ministries. I wasn't exactly sure where God was leading us as a family, as me, as a potential pastor, and so I pulled together a resume. Now, many of you have done that, and in your resume, what you will do is you will list all of your accomplishments, things that you have done, places that you have worked out—it is worked at. It is filled with things that you have done, things that you have com- accomplished, and that's a good thing, because your goal is to be able to appeal to your boss or whoever's interviewing you, so that you're able to say to them, "I am going to be—I va- uh, am going to be valuable to your company," and here's the reason why, and you can list them out jobs that you have done, education, awards that you have won, and so on. And these things, your goal is to tailor all those things, certain things in your life, not everything, but certain things, put them on a one, a one piece of paper as a resume to be able to say to your boss, you need to hire me, right? Now, I, here's what I want you to do. If you were to put together a resume of your Christian life, what would it look like? What would it look like? Now, I need to be honest with you. I'm kind of setting you up here a little bit because truthfully, this is what we do. In our minds, we think, what is my Christian life like? And our focus is all the things that we have done. It's all of our accomplishments. And and I'm going to tell you that those things are important we actually receive rewards at the end of the age, but if that is the sum total of your Christianity, you will be missing it. If the sum total of our Christianity is all the things that we do and don't do, all of the rules and regulations that guide our life, you will be missing the very heart of what Christianity is all about. You might as well live in under the old covenant because as we come to the new covenant, it is so vastly different. Maybe not in the way we live, but in the very heart and principle of how we live our life and the source of, of everything that we do. Now, this is, was made clear to me um, this past weekend because as I was listening, I was hearing just an excellent, excellent talk. But the Lord just began to show me something because I came and I was in need of something. I, I wanted the Lord to encourage me. 2020, for me, for my wife, for my family, has been hard. And for many of you, it's been hard. And there are times in which we get discouraged. And I just wanted, I wanted God to just to minister to me. And these principles that this guy was getting into were excellent. You know, one of my favorite authors is John Maxwell. John Maxwell puts together excellent leadership books and they're all about principles of how to be an excellent leader. I want to show you something that I hope as you take it's such a basic, basic principle, but I want to walk you through how to do this. I want to get so practical today and, and I pray that I'm going to have time to do that. But, you know, when I prayed... Before the message, I prayed this prayer. Show me Jesus. Show me Jesus. Now, as I've shared this with you, I'm going to pick up on it, but I want you to give me a few minutes. We're going to come back to this concept of a Christian resume, if you will. And I want us to walk through some basic principles that go so much further than just the principles themselves, and how they live in us, okay? We are about to go through just a few things in the book of Ezra and Nehemiah over the next several weeks. Now, if you've read Ezra, you will discover that the focus of this book is the building of the temple. As you, If you have read the book of Nehemiah, the focus isn't so much the temple, the focus is the city of Jerusalem and building a wall around the city of Jerusalem. Well, here's my question. That is so Old Testament. We don't live in Jerusalem. We don't have the physical temple of God in our midst. And this sanctuary is not the temple. So why are the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, for those of us under the new covenant, why are they so important? Because the scriptures tell us that there is a metaphor at play here, that though they are building the temple, though they are building the wall around Jerusalem, the temple and Jerusalem, when we come now into the new covenant, we begin to see what they truly are. Because the temple represents the very presence of God in the Christian's life. And Jerusalem, that is the new Jerusalem, I do not believe is something that's physical as much as it is spiritual. The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. And as we move into the new covenant, the kingdom of that's what the old new covenant is about. It's about living in the kingdom of God. But the question is, how do we do that? For many of us, if we were to be asked, well, how did you do it? We would point to our Christian resume. It's all about what I did. Church, I'm going to tell you that wow, there's so much more to that resume. You know, As a pastor or a potential pastor, you know, when, when I'm doing a resume, I have to put down the words that I want, accomplishments, jobs, et cetera, that would say to the board or the pastor, whoever's interviewing me, I'm, I'm the guy that needs to take the helm here I'm, I'm, to be your next pastor. That, and that's how your resume is to come across. But here's what I, it's hard to be able to communicate because I tell you what, so many people have come into the pastorate and they say 70% of people who step into the pastorate leave it within the first three years. It's, that's true, 70% within the first three years. What the board, whoever's interviewing them, need to find out is more than just how well do you know the word. I mean, they could give them a test, you know, grade them. Oh, you got an A on this test, so you must become our new pastor. Well, of course not. Now, we look at their experience. Well, how many Counseling, preaching, uh, leadership, various aspects of, of pastoring. How well have you done? But here's what we really need to get at the heart of. Here's what my resume, uh, if it's not on my resume, it needs to be in the interview, is, Mike, what is your relationship with Jesus like? Now, we're going to be going through Ezra. Right now, in just a a few verses, I want you to turn to Ezra chapter 3, and I want us to be able to see something this morning that is absolutely foundational, literally foundational in our life, that we need, desperately need, to grasp a hold of. Because I'm going to tell you this right now, that as Christians, we need principles. We need principles to live by. But more than the principles, we need the person. Now, I'm going to tell you, this, this seems almost trivial. But when I was sitting there, in my knee, here was the, the guy was excellent. But it was all about principles. And there was something inside of me that was saying, show me Jesus. Show me Jesus. And you know what? There's, there's plenty of Christian books. And I don't knock this. Because I truly believe all truth is God's truth. All truth is God's truth. However, that truth needs to show me Jesus. It all needs to go back to him. Let's, let's go ahead so I don't get ahead of myself here. But let's go ahead and look at Ezra chapter 3, starting with verse 1. Are you there with me? When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, so they'd been there for just a few months, the people assembled as one man in Jerusalem. Then Jeshua, son of Josedek, and his fellow priests, and Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, and his associates, Zerubbabel was the governor, began to build the altar of the God of Israel to sacrifice burnt offerings on it in accordance with what is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. Verse 3, despite their fear of the peoples around them, they built the altar on its foundation and sacrificed burnt offerings on it to the Lord, both the morning and evening sacrifices. There are two things that we're going to see here very quickly is the building of the altar and then the building of the temple. And I'm going to just tell you right now that as they did this, with building the altar and building the temple, they were confronted by opposition, by enemies. And I, 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 I want us to step back for just a moment. What are the implications of building an altar and then building the temple? Because they built the altar first. They didn't build the temple, and then the altar. They built the altar and then the temple. Why does God have the book of Ezra in our Bible? Why are we encouraged to read? Why is it there for us under the new covenant? We don't have some altar. We don't have the temple here. What I'm going to tell you this right now, church, the temple, the altar, are pictures of something now in the New covenant that we desperately need to wrap our minds around. And I hope today we're going to begin doing that. We're going to look later, you know in coming weeks about the city and building the wall today. Why? Here's my question. Why do they start with the altar? And I'm going to tell you this, right now, The altar represents God's dealing with your heart. The temple represents you as a Christian built on the foundation we're going to get to in a few minutes, and things that God is building into us, but they built the altar first as a principle, because for you to be a Christian, the very first thing that God needs to do is he needs to deal with your heart. That's what happens at the altar. That's what happens for you to enter into this new covenant and metaphorically speaking, become part of that temple of God. You've got to build the altar first. God has to deal with your heart. They built the altar on a foundation. And I'm going to tell you this, that the foundation of the altar, the foundation of the temple are one and the same. They are Jesus. The altar where God deals with your heart is not just repenting because you have been convicted of sin. It is not just saying, I am such a wicked person, God rescue me. It is all about Jesus. Whenever God wants to refresh, whenever God wants to minister, he doesn't just speak principles, he speaks Jesus. I'm going to get into that more. But they, they build the altar. And I'm going to tell you this. If you, are, if you have yet to become truly become a Christian, you are going to encounter opposition. I can guarantee you that. If you're going to try and walk, come before God and let him deal with your heart, you are going to encounter an enemy. The devil does not want to lose you. He wants you to stay in his kingdom of darkness, blinded to the light and the truth of the gospel. And this, this story unfolds that those enemies, keeping them simply from building the altar. Now turn your page, if you will, to Ezra 4. When the enemies of Judah and Benjamin heard that their exiles were building a temple, for the, so they built the altar. Now they're building the temple. a temple for the Lord, the God of Israel, they came to Zerubbabel and to the heads of the families and said, let us, this is the enemies, and this is what they say to Zerubbabel, let us help you build, because like you, we seek your God. If you're Zerubbabel, what are you thinking right now? Yeah, right. You oppose us. What's the bottom line? What's your real intention here? Because it is not to build the temple. I can guarantee you that. And I tell you what, as you are letting God build in your life this temple of God, this dwelling place of the Holy Spirit, the enemy that you're going to encounter will not always look like an enemy. He will come whispering half-truths to you. Oh, he will do that. He is so sly. Ah, but you know what? And we're going to get into some of these principles in, in, in a moment. But he will throw out these ideas. What about this? What about this? And they're kind of truths, but of course, Satan himself quoted to Jesus in the wilderness, Scripture. Satan quoted Scripture to deceive Jesus. He left out a little part there. I'm not going to get into it. But he twisted it just a hair, just a hair. And that's all he needed to do. But Jesus refused to bite into that. I will not test the Lord your God. That is what Satan was wanting him to do. Just to show Jesus that if, if this, you are the son of God and you're in this relationship with him, oh, he's got to love you so much. Why don't you see how much he loves you? And he tested him using scripture. And I'm going to tell you this right now. Satan is going to come to you and he's going to present some truth with just a little twist to it. To lead you down the wrong path. You've got to build with truth and nothing but the truth. So here they are. They're building the temple. And it says here in verse... Let me make sure that I am on target here. Verse 4, when the peoples around them set out to discourage the people of Judah. Here's the enemies. Oh, help, let us help you build. Zerubbabel says, you have no part in this. That's what you need to say to those half-truths being whispered into your mind. I have nothing to do with you. And Nehemiah, excuse me, Ezra goes on and he records this. Then the peoples around them, the enemies, Right? They set out to discourage the people of Judah and make them afraid to go on building. They hired counselors to work against them and frustrate plans during the entire reign of Cyrus, king of Persia, and down to the reign of Cyrus, king of Persia. The enemy, Satan himself, in the form of different People. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual, power, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Okay, The real enemy here is not so much the peoples around them, but Satan working through them. Masked as, oh, we're here to help you. No, you're not. I want right now to move into the new covenant. I want us to discover some principles, and I want you now to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Our life group looked at this passage briefly and spent a little bit more time uh, with this. And this now, it talks about the temple, building the temple of God with a proper foundation. Are you there with me? 1 Corinthians 3, starting with verse 10. This is Paul writing to them, by the grace of, by the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder, and someone is building on it. But each of you should be careful how he builds, for no one can lay. Listen to this, church. No one can lay any other foundation than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Who is the foundation of your life and of the church of Jesus Christ? It has got to be Jesus himself. He's the foundation. All right? Such a basic truth. But you're going to see in just a moment how easy it is for us to veer off course of that. Right. No one can lay any other foundation than one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, that's one group. He moves on to another group, wood, hay, or straw. Some of your translations say stubble. His work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. How will that happen? He goes on, it will be revealed with fire. And the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it's burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved only because his foundation has been on Jesus, but what he's built with got burned up. Hmm. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. Can you imagine at the end of the age, everything that you worked for, though you were a Christian, it all got burned up. It was for nothing. Nothing. Wow. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is sacred, and you are that temple. Now, I realize this passage has been used over the years to preach against things like smoking very strongly. Uh, the only problem is, and I don't have an issue dealing with smoking I kind of wonder why, as the church preaches against smoking, it doesn't preach against things like gluttony, other things that destroy the body. But the truth is, this passage is not referring to the individual Christian. Now, I mean, if you're going to preach a sermon like that, fine. Uh, Go to 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 and 20, and work with that. Because there, the temple of God is specifically you as an individual. Now, I'm sharing this with you because I want us to step back. I want us to see the body of Christ, the temple of God, is in the plural here. Every time you see the word, you look through there several times. You, in the Greek, is the plural. All of you, together are the temple of God, the corporate temple of God. So he's not focusing on you individually. He's focusing on us corporately. As Paul says in Ephesians 2, you're rising to become a holy temple in the Lord corporately. So I'm going to tell you this. You, not just individually, but you, all of you, together, corporately, as a local expression of the body of Christ, we are the temple of God. And his challenge is... If someone seeks to destroy God's temple, God's church, God will destroy them. That's a that, that's a challenge. And I'm not going to camp out on there because this sermon's meant to be positive, but I have seen so many people, I, I guess they're Christians, I don't know, unwittingly they spend so much of their time attacking, attacking, attacking the body of Christ, the temple of God. And if you were to step back, you would think, is there a goal to destroy God's people? We get so hung up on things that we disagree with. We attack, attack, attack. Build up. How do we do this? That's what I want us to focus on for the remainder of our time. How do we build up the body of Christ? How do we do this? And the body of Christ, corporately, how do we do this? We're supposed to build with gold, silver, and precious stones. Not with wood, hay, and straw, or stubble. Let me just give you a few examples real quickly, if if I can, of what does wood, hay, and stubble look like? Because Christians, without realizing it, can build with wood, hay, and stubble. Paul just tells us that if you do this, Every th- all of these things that you are doing to build up and church, it's not just pastors that are called to build up the body. You are called to do that. You have spiritual gifts to be able to build up, not tear down the body. Not just Paul. You look at verse three there, or what is it? three ten? Excuse me. By the grace God has given me, God has given you grace too and you're not functioning apostolically, but you are functioning in the body of Christ to build one another up, we can inadvertently build with wood, hay, and stubble. And if we do, at the end, it all gets burned up. Now, there's just so much that we could talk about here Because sin is actually a part of this, wood, hay, and stubble. But let me just touch on a few things that we can build with without realizing that they're wood, hay, and stubble. We can can teach this principle and encourage others. If God wants you to do something, don't ever let someone stand in the way. Look at that. Look at it. Principle. Interesting. Okay. And we can buy into that. But here's my question. Missionary. Wanting to go, at least person who wants to go into the mission field. But your wife or your spouse has a serious check about it. But you are so convinced this is God and I was told never let someone stand in your way. So you know what? Wife, we're going to the mission field. And I'm going to just tell you this right now, that if you do this, if you move into something and your spouse isn't in agreement with that, I'm going to challenge you. Take a step back because you might think you're in the very center of God's will and your wife, God is actually speaking through your wife or through your spouse. You're wanting to start a business. What do you think? Well, I really don't think you should, but I believe it's God's will. I'm going to do it anyway. That's a recipe for failure right there. How about this as a principle? God helps those who help themselves. I've had people looking through. I know it's in Proverbs somewhere. God helps those who help themselves. Doesn't that sound so true? Yeah, I mean, you, you got to work hard. You want something, you got to work hard. If you, yeah, God helps those who help themselves. The problem is that is so me-focused. God helps those who help themselves. Well, that principle right there can get a whole lot of mileage that will burn in the end because it is all about you. Or how about this one? Um, Learn to forgive yourself. Ouch, did I just step on someone's toe with that one? Maybe you've said it. Maybe I've said it. I, I think I learned a few years back that's actually not a biblical principle. And that's actually, at best, a diversion from what the real problem is. When when, when you see someone really wrestling with self-condemnation, the issue is not that they're not forgiving themselves. The real issue is that they just don't understand forgiveness. You only forgive when you have been offended by someone. Think about that. How then do you forgive yourself? Really, if we're wrestling with self-condemnation, it is only because we don't understand the forgiveness of God. He extends forgiveness to us, and we're not getting it. We think we're a better judge of ourselves than he is. He's saying, I'm forgiving you. But we are saying, I don't think, listen to this now, I don't think I'm good enough or worthy to be forgiven. You're being too easy on me, God. You're letting me off the hook. But see, I'm a better judge than you, and I'm not going to do that. That's really what we're wrestling with. It's not because we need to forgive ourselves, church. It's because we just don't even understand forgiveness that comes from God. Okay, see, I'm I'm walking you, these are some, you you pick up a Christian book today and I can guarantee you in many of them, these are what you're going to read and they're not even biblical and they will veer you off course, they're wood, hay and stubble and they'll burn up in the end. (laughs) I'm not going to spend much time on this one, but you can share everything with your friends. It's not gossip. Oh, I've heard that one. So here's my question. The Bible condemns and says, hey, don't don't gossip. It hurts people. But then you're saying, well, you know what? I can share everything with my friends. It's not gossip. Who do you gossip to, your enemies? Well, of course you don't. You gossip to your friends. And God says, don't gossip. So guess what? It's because you're sharing too much with your friends. Don't do it. And yet that's a principle I've seen many Christians live by. I share everything with my friends. Let me reword it. I gossip to all of my friends. Oh, Lord, that, that, that destroys people's lives. It harms the body of Christ that you're gossiping about. Oh church. Mm. We can live our lives based on this wood, hay, and stubble. There's so many more, hundreds literally that we could go through. I just wanted to give you a few of them out there to show you that many times we think that we're living by a biblical principle and it's not biblical at all. And it's actually bringing harm to us as we're seeking to build others and grow in Christ ourselves. So what's the gold, silver, and precious stones? How about things like forgive? Go the extra mile. Be patient. Teamwork makes the dream work. That's actually a biblical principle, teamwork. Ten praises to one criticism. These are biblical principles. These are things that I want to build my life on. Now Hang on to that thought. If you were to look at the parable Jesus gives in Matthew 7 and Luke 6, it's about the storm that comes, and the one who builds his life on the, on the rock, when the storm comes and the, and the river rises, it doesn't wash his house away because it's firmly fixed upon the rock. However, the one who builds his life on the sand, the bank of the river, when the, when the storms come, the river rises. It's going to wash out the foundation because it's simply sand, and that's the nature of sand, then the house falls. And just as Jesus' point, now I'm going to share something with you, and I want us to go deep in this, not not time-wise because they don't have that, but in your heart, I want Jesus to take what I'm about to share with you, and I want him to apply it and teach it incisively to you. You know, incite comes from the word incision. That means he lays us open, and he inserts a truth that transforms your life. That's teaching incisively. Let the Spirit do that for you right now. Jesus said, "Build your life on my teachings." Now, let me say this: Jesus's teachings—they're forgiveness. They are going the extra mile. They are being patient with one another. And all of this is true. But here's where my spirit begins its turmoil. If you were to pick up a book written by a non-Christian about how to live life, you know what? they'll teach those very same principles. They will. You'll find it in the top 10 bestseller list in the New York Times, over books, over books a million. Now, I, I'm obviously not against these principles. They're true. Jesus taught them. But guess what else Jesus taught? Over and over and over. That he was the Messiah. That he was the Savior. He is the Lord. He's the Lord of the Sabbath. Trust in me. You who are heavy laden, come to me. I'll give you rest. My burden is light. Jesus didn't just give them principles. He gave them himself as a person. That is the truth I want Jesus to teach you and incisively implant in your hearts this morning. See, Jesus is the foundation. We read this. He's the foundation of the temple. He is the rock on which we build our life. These truths of forgiveness and going the extra these are biblical truths. But if you divorce them from the person of Jesus, you will still run aground. You will still run aground. Jesus is not just the foundation. 1 Peter 2 says he is the cornerstone. Now follow me. Do you know what the cornerstone does? Now if you're a builder and you're putting stones or cinder blocks together, mortaring them with cement together, you are not just looking at this one stone and how it fits in relation to the stones around it. You need to step back and see how it aligns with the cornerstone. So here's what I'm going to tell you. To be an expert builder, you've got to see up close how these stones fit together. But if you fail to see how it relates to the cornerstone, you will fail. You will be like one building these principles without the foundation of Jesus. And and, and there's so many Christians, as they pick up books and they hear these principles, and they're good principles, but you know what I want? I want them to point me to Jesus. Jesus is life to us. He is the truth. Let me just tell you this right now. The world, sometimes they get it. Sometimes they stumble on truth. And they get the principle of, hey, don't be bitter, don't hold grudges, forgive. Amazing. But we have to look past the principle to see the person. And when you do that, and the truth is tethered to the person, that the truth is rooted in and grounded upon the person, That's when, like Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me into green pastures. He leads me beside streams of quiet water. He restores my soul. It's not just the principles that will restore your soul. It is the person. I want my soul in 2020 to be refreshed. But to do that, it has to be more than these principles, biblical principles. All truth is God's truth. But Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And it will all come back to Jesus. That's why when Paul says to the Ephesians, he says, forgive one another. And he doesn't put a period there. He says, just as God forgave you in Christ Jesus. I see this principle forgiveness, but it is tethered and rooted into Jesus Christ, the truth. Don't just teach me a principle. Show me Jesus. And I, when I'm, before I begin my quiet time, so many times, I don't just simply pray, Jesus, teach me a new truth today. That'd be like super awesome. And maybe I can form a sermon on it. And no, it is Jesus, uh, Father, show me Jesus this morning. Show me Jesus. And that's what some of you need this morning. As a matter of fact, for some of you, that's the only thing that you need to take away with you. You need the Father to show you Jesus everything in this Christian life. He is not just the foundation, and then we move on from there like we forget him. Yeah, forgive and go the extra mile, but why? Well, church, do you know why we forgive? Because it all goes back to Jesus, the one who stepped down into your dirt and got muddy with you for you. Who was willing by the cross? He humbled himself. He took your stinking sins and my stinking sins on him. He bore the punishment that I deserved, and because of that, I am forgiven. Well, you see, it, it, this is more than just me. Oh, I'm just so angry at this person, but you know what? I got to forgive. You know what? Step back. Stop looking right up close at that cinder block and how it fits and I've got to get right with these other cinder blocks and mesh well with them. Step back and see how it aligns with Jesus. See how Jesus forgave you. Start plumbing the depths of that portion of God's grace for you. That out of his love, total sacrifice, He loved you. Offended him infinitely, and yet he sought to purchase forgiveness for you. So let's see, your aunt that just offended you and that you're really angry with—they, she offended you. Genuine offense, okay. It is about that big, about that much in a room full of offense. See, that is what God did for you. Can can you do that? Can you do that little offense? Oh, it doesn't feel like a little offense, but in view of our offenses against God that Jesus forgave us, it truly is so small. Let me tap into that forgiveness. Let me tap into that grace in Jesus Christ. And when you do, you will find the ability to forgive. I can guarantee you because that truth to forgive is tethered to and rooted in the truth, a person, Jesus Christ. Build your life on the Lord Jesus Christ. Not just the principles as amazing as they are, but build your life On Jesus himself. He is the source of life. And everything that you need. For life and godliness in this world church. Everything you need. Is found in him. Today. May this be our prayer. God. Show me. Jesus. Can you stand with me? Father. Honestly, what a basic, basic truth that this is. And yet how easy we lose sight of it. Father, I thank you for those books that are so filled with principles. But ultimately, God, our prayer this morning is lead us to the person, lead us to the truth. Show us Jesus. Please, Father. And as we meditate on this, may you lead us to green pastures, to quiet waters. And may you, the author and perfecter of our faith, the foundation and cornerstone of our lives as a body, may you restore my soul. Please, Father, in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.